welcome to another episode of Three Men in a War Game. I'm Paul, and I'm playing with tanks. How's it going? I'm Kevin, or Chops, and I'm rolling more d20s than normal. This is Potter, and I want to know what a d20 reference means. Ooh, I know what it means. It means something. To, to, yeah, it, it certainly means something, all right. That's why I'm asking. What does it, it mean? I've been playing more, it means I've been playing more Infinity. Um, so that'll get us right into hobby progress. Didn't know, didn't know Guys, I mean. I've been playing Infinity. Chops <laughs> <laughs> uh, is excited about his hobby progress related to Infinity. Yeah, I'm I mean, guessing. I've been painting my Operation Wildfire stuff and playing uh, games of Infinity. I've got a few games under my belt now. I don't think I'm ready to talk about it yet just because it's a game that really requires a pretty big, significant time investment to really get your brain around it um but i've uh i've played a game where i'm deploying first and going first i've played a game where i'm deploying defensively and taking a second turn playing a couple different missions using both classified objectives and missions that don't require classified objectives i like the game a lot but you know we'll talk about it another time um, when we can dedicate a full episode to it yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that conversation because, you know, it's only been two and a half years of doing this that you've been, you know, talking about Infinity and wanting to play Infinity and now you're playing Infinity, so Well that's that's the funny thing, like you remember two and a half years ago, like on our like first episode where we were gonna have this whole series of, you know, Potter and, and Paul getting into Infinity and then like that never happened. And now yeah, Chops well, now, now Chops now, is doing it. Now it's Chops' turn. Yeah. He's he's stepping up for us. It had been that long that I, f I had actually legitimately forgot that Infinity was on a D20 system. Like, it's been that long. Yep. Yep. So, so other than Operation Wildfire, Kev, what else? Have you painted uh, anything Marvel else? Marvel Crisis or? Protocol stuff. Um, and as palette cleansers, I've been painting some more Boltons because I have a lot of unpainted Boltons, and they go fast, and they're, like, relaxing to paint. Do you? I didn't realize you had a bunch of uh, Boltons to oh, paint still. Oh, yeah. Boxes. <laughs> really oh yeah i had no idea i have a i yeah because your goal your goal for adepticon was a, what a 40 just point to get list. the core box a 40 40 yeah. 40 points and I, I had like 48 points and i i'm getting closer to 60 points painted now so for boltons oh that's good are you playing much song of ice nope. and fire that's okay though <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've uh we've got a tournament here on the 29th i'm gonna be playing in yeah i want to be playing more oh. though, you, though you're playing the tournament who are you uh fielding february 29th yeah february 29th leap it's a leap year tournament yeah i'm uh i'm gonna bring now that the storm crows are out um i'm gonna grab those for my baratheons because they they're gonna really help out the baratheons with that unit diversity so yeah i'm gonna grab those guys and put them in my baratheon list has any have, have have any more Baratheons come out? No, the Targaryens just came out. Um, I think yeah, there were like eight of them at Game Theory when I was over there today. Yeah, a bunch of guys actually grabbed into it. I think I talked to Britt today, and he was uh, he played a game against uh, uh, Targaryens today. Yeah, I think he played against Targaryens as Targaryens. I believe so. Yeah, I think it was Targaryen on Targaryen. I think you were correct, but yeah. So yeah, uh, February 29th, If you're in the Raleigh area, play Ice of Fire. Uh, there is a leap year. Uh, tournament happening so come on out nice so hobby wise uh potter anything on your end uh painting up my mcp 
Uh, I've been working on that mostly just because that's kind of what I'm playing as my main game right now. Um, got Baron Zemo almost halfway done. Um, so been working on that. Nice. And you won more painting contest with I, that stuff? I did. I, I won uh, a painting contest with the shittiest superhero ever, Captain America. That you can't stop talking about how good he is. I know. He's just so... I hate the fact that he's my play style in the game. Ah, I love it. <sighs> I love it. I hope I hope Chops loves that although, as much as I do, because I absolutely adore it. Although, played Venom last night. Oh, my good lord. That is my new favorite MCP character right now. Yeah. He is fantastic. He's a chalky boy. He's real good. Well, the the ability to hit Iron Man when he unibeam me and then uh, do uh, so many snacks and then do We Are Venom together and just ate Iron Man in retaliation and healed all my wounds back was amazing. Yep, he does not suck. Yeah, that sounds good. He does not suck. He does not suck at all. He basically takes everything that Spider-Man does in terms of pushes and does it as pulls, which is great for me. It's definitely he's he's tanky, he's beefy, um, he he can take a hit and then dish a hit back out. He's very good. Cool. Uh, I had another question for you, and now I totally forget what it was. Oh yes, I just want everybody to know you stolen my painting prize. I did steal your painting prize because you're not playing the game anymore. So no, you're not getting it. <laughs> I'd, I'd play every day if you would give me the prize. but you That's a lie. I'm done. That's a lie. <laughs> oh, all right. So, um, What's your hobby progress been? Dunkle Gelb. That's what it's been. <laughs> um, I've I finally decided on my Dunkle Gelb, uh, my yellow base color for my, my German tanks. Uh, so now that I've done that, I, I prime them, and they are... Uh, dry brushed and receiving their first uh, layer of washing. Very so cool. I am basically working on German tanks. If, if, yeah. Yeah. You did a good um, job on the, on the one you sent the picture to us of. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I'm excited. I'm very excited, which I think might lead us into our main topic. Yeah. Main topic, uh, which if you've looked at the name of the episode, I'm sure you understand. We're going to be talking about chain of command chain of command the the game that's i still i still can't believe i'm into is stolen paul's heart totally get it like at, it, i was i think less surprised than you uh at yeah your descent into historical war gaming just just from you know us knowing each other for so long and knowing your interests specifically like travel interests and things that you like to do when you're out and about and things that are interesting to you. I, I just, I felt like this was going to be a thing you were going to be able to fall into easily if you found the right rule system. And I think you have. Right. Well, you see, because, and, and well, maybe, uh, maybe it'll come up later. Maybe it won't. So I'll, I'll just say it now. The thing is that with this, it was the system rather than setting that, that pulled me in initially. Right. Yeah, for sure. That is a thing worth talking about. Um, that the system is good. So let's let's uh, before we get into the system, um, we'll talk a little bit about the company that makes the system because I have a feeling that a lot of people may not have ever heard of this game, uh, Chain of Command, because I think the stuff we talk about typically is not historical, um, and historical miniatures gaming has its own sort of separate audience. Um, you know, there's some overlap, but mm. 
generally historical guys are historical guys and non-historical are non-historical especially if you look at conventions and stuff like that where like i said there is some overlap i'm not saying it doesn't exist uh, but in general people who are into historical gaming are into it for you know some other reasons or whatever um but that being said two fat lardies these guys uh they specialize in historical games that's correct right Yes, Kevin, they do specialize in historical wargaming. Uh, they've been making rule sets for pretty close to 20 years now. Uh, and, and basically, one of, the, one of the things that's important to them is that they don't produce minis. They just produce rule sets. Uh, part, of, part of their logic on that was that they didn't ever want uh, production of miniatures to drive their rules. Um, which, is, which to me is great that they're, that they're out there and... and looking at the rule set as the the main drive of of their game that's awesome uh also they have some of the best named rule sets i've ever seen yes that is that is 100 percent true like one of their rule sets is legit called they couldn't hit an elephant that is a civil war <laughs> game mm-hmm. yep. um and you know again ain't been shot mom and stuff like that bag so. the hun yep uh, what right, what a so, what a tanker! <laughs> so their company their company name is not the most awesome thing that they've got. I mean, that, that's it's just funny know. that it's yeah it's two big fat guys to make really good rule sets. Yeah, I just I just love the Brit the very British, you know, name of their company. Yep, yeah. it's it's pretty amazing. I also I, like that one. I of the, absolutely one of the, love it. Their games is called Kriegspiel. That is so funny. <laughs> 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 Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so got these guys and they really know their historical stuff, right? Like they, they definitely take the time to make these things feel correct so that somebody who's really into the period for the game that they're trying to get into, uh, is going to be satisfied with the, a, the way that the tactics actually work when you're playing the game out. Um, but also the scenarios, is that right? Yeah, and and I mean, the amount of research that they would have had to have done to put together Chain of Command is is fairly impressive, uh, and and maybe we'll get I guess we'll get more into that as we get into it. But yes, they they do a lot of research to make sure everything is is right. Um, one of the one of the videos I saw of them on YouTube, they threw some shade at Bolt Action, um, which was which was pretty subtle about uh, where if you're if if you're if when you're playing the game and you you don't want to use the best weapon that the army had and the one that their army revolved around um, in their game, the game's probably wrong. Yeah, that that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can re- I can respect that, you know, from the fact that they're showing that level of respect for that era and that time period, be, you know, because it was such a, you know, such a pivotal point in so many different people's, you know, in countries' lives. You know, that that's... I, I can respect that. Yeah, and and again, I mean, I wouldn't have got into it if that wasn't the case. You know, I, I I've talked before about how I stayed away from historical gaming just because you know it's real, it's somebody's life, and we're making games out of it. But Chain of Command uh, walks the line really close to being simulation more than gaming. Um, like like fun simulation is how I would would call it. 
uh, whereas something like bolt action toes the line more towards game. Yeah, and we'll get into that a little bit. But let's let's since we're you know we're talking chain of command resolutely now. I I have actually on purpose stayed away from the rule set because I wanted this to be a you episode when you were ready to talk sure. about it. So walk me through some of the core mechanics of the game. First, talk me through just the basic conflict resolution mechanics. So, you know, your your dice and or whatever the system for, for resolving tests is. Okay, so it's, it's actually simple and yet uh, complicated <laughs> is the best way to describe it. Um, I mean, it's basically like much like Star Wars Legion, uh, when a unit is shooting, you're just kind of pulling together your dice pool for that unit. Uh, so if you have a, a belt-fed machine gun, that's contributing eight dice. And if you have six riflemen, that'll contribute another six dice. And then you just roll uh, your 14 dice. Pretty straightforward. Um, how hard it is to hit is uh, dependent on the skill set of the opponent. Uh, so if they're, they're standard, you're going to hit and they're in the open, you're going to hit them on fours. Uh, if they are an elite troop, you'll hit them on fives. And if they're the dredge of, of whatever's left, uh, and they're like kids and old men, you're going to hit them on threes. Uh, um, so it's so it's very simple that way. Cover would affect it, basically shift everything by one. So your elite units become very hard to hit at that point because you're, you're going to need... Um, yeah, you're going to need fives and sixes, or sixes, depending on what it is. Um, and then, uh, also like infinity, um, there's a, a, a close range and effective range of guns. Cause basically every gun can see, can fire on the whole table. Um, but if you're within the, uh, the close range, uh, it's going to be a little bit easier to hit. Right. So it's, it's really that simple. Yeah. If you've got, a, um, if, and then if you have a, a, go a ahead. fire, uh, a flamethrower, right. It's, uh, not going to be great at long range. Right. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is with flamethrowers, I think those uh, might actually have a maximum range of 12 inches or something along those lines. So you got to get a little close with those. All right. Um, but, but any any of your rifles. Uh, but like a, uh, if you have a rifle like an M1 versus a machine gun, there's a diff very different effective range for those two guns. Right. Exactly. And that's represented in... Um, uh, I think it's like eighteen versus twenty-four inches. Uh, and so, do you roll? Maybe they might. Do you roll separate yeah. pools of dice for the different guns? Not necessarily. Uh, you you br you brought up the M1 that the Americans carry. Those would have a separate uh, dice roll from the machine guns, simply because they are a semi-automatic rifle. Uh, it's not bolt action. So the way they represent that being fired faster than a bolt action rifle is that you get to re-roll ones. Ah, that's cool. Neat. Yeah. So, so if so if you're if you're uh, you know a, pl a platoon of Germans and all your KR ninety eights, they're gonna fire just alongside your MG forty two because you're not re-rolling anything. But if you're an American, you're gonna want to roll those uh, Garands separately. So this way you can get your ones re-rolled. Okay. All right. So you just yeah you're just aware of your weaponry when you make your dice rolls. Yeah, yeah, and I mean most 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 there's very few semi-automatic semi-automatic rifles. Um, you know, it's just if you're if you're an American, you really have to be aware of that. And and then the other thing too is that you don't necessarily always kill what you hit. Um so so once once you've hit, you figure out what's hit, then you roll to find out if you have no effect, if you add shock or if you killed somebody. Okay. 
Um, so, uh, just to continue sort of the discussion, uh, how does uh-huh. uh, like something like sniper fire work? Does that exist in the game? Oh, sniper fire is actually actually pretty fascinating. Um, like it's it's uh, probably one of the most realistic moves uh, games as far as a sniper goes. Anyway, um, so again, they have they have range of the full table. Uh, they always hit on threes, mm-hmm. and the opponent always counts as being in the open. Oh, neat. Yes. So, when you are hit by a sniper rifle, if you get shock, you get twice as much shock as you normally would. Uh, and, and the sniper only rolls one die, so it's only ever going to be one. So, at most, it would be two shock. Uh, and shock is fairly important to this game. As, as you know, we go on, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, so, remind me to come back around to shock. All right, yeah, I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty huge. If, if a sniper hits you and you get shock, you get twice as much shock. If you take a kill off of it, uh, the next thing that would happen in your resolution step is that you have to figure out if the officer of, if there's an officer attached to the, the fire team that was hit, then you have to determine if they're hit. Um, and a sniper has a better chance of doing that. Okay. Um, now, and okay. so this, but the sniper fire happens in the same phase as all your other gun shooting. Uh, well there, so, uh, kind of, um, yes, it would, it would happen in, in your activation phase. It's not like a special phase or anything like that. Uh, and I say kind of, because you have to choose to activate the sniper. Okay. Uh, it's not, gosh, it's, it's hard to talk about this game in this way. Um, without getting into into activation um but activation is random you don't always so it's a it's the fog of war mechanic to it so you don't always know what you're going to have the chance to activate um so if you do activate your sniper yes he would activate when everybody else does other cool thing about sniper is that the enemy can't necessarily shoot back at them unless they're on overwatch okay um, and then even then they have to de- they have to roll to see if they've located the sniper. Got it. So the sniper. So it's really cool as far as uh, how effective that sniper is and and how dangerous they can be. All right. So e- even though the sniper fires, they don't necessarily give away their position. Right. Yes. Exactly. So if you so and you actually and in order to be seen, you know there has to be a unit on Overwatch watching the area where the sniper is and uh, i believe it's the unit that's getting shot that has to be on overwatch fascinating so you can get pretty picky about what you're shooting at Uh, but obviously if if they're getting shot at by a sniper now they go on overwatch and then the next time the sniper uh then they might be in trouble because once you know with the sniper there's only only technically one guy so as long as there's a kill on it they're gone yep and then it gets Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just saying that's like a really good way of, of doing it. Like that's very kind of accurate to the time to that kind of mechanic in war, like in yeah. actual war. Oh yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I think uh, before playing this game, I thought Infinity had the best sniper rules, but not anymore. <laughs> like it feels like a sniper. Right. The game that I played, I put them in a in the farmhouse, and uh, they had you know forty five degree arc out of that window, and made my opponent completely shuffle around where they were going. Uh, because of that so it was it was it was pretty cool being able to see that yeah so it was it was good stuff it, it makes it pretty interesting like it yeah it's cool it's really cool 
All right, what else you got? Uh, well, let's let, we wanted to not spoil activation style, so let's get into to activating. So outside of the core resolution mechanics, well, are there any other things you test for? Like, are there like is there like movement through tough terrain or things like? barbed wire uh uh any other things where you need to roll tests or is it mostly just shooting guns uh well every well kind of um <laughs> every movement is random it, and basically it just depends on how many dice you roll depend on on what you're trying to do because so the way the way the the, the turns broken up into multiple phases and you never know how many phases there are going to be in a turn so each one of these phases is meant to represent like seconds on the battlefield got it so if a unit wants to move, they're going to, it's like old school 40k charging, or I guess maybe modern 40k charging. You're rolling random dice to get a random distance, yep, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And depending on what else you might want to do, changes the amount of dice you roll. Because if you just want to run flat out, you can you can roll 2d6 and go. Okay, and then whatever you get, uh, that's what you get. But if you want to run and shoot, you run presumably one it, dice. It, 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 yeah, it's one dice, and you fire half the amount of shots that you would fire if you were stationed. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah, and then uh, the Americans have a, a, a national trait, I guess, uh, based on, on their training uh, and the fact that they're carrying M1s and they have BARs, but they get to... They're less affected by the move and shoot, so they can they can move 1d6 and get full firing. They can move 2d6 and get half, half shots firing. Neat. Yeah, which is, which mm. is huge. Um, and then the other interesting thing is that you can move 3d6, but if you move 3d6, you know, think about any war movie you've seen where people are bolting for a fence a, or a place of cover. It's a roadie run. You, you know, when, go. You're booking. Yeah. And, and when yeah, you they, ain't, you ain't shooting. Right. And, and when they get there, they kind of look around, make sure everybody got there and stuff like that. So you actually suffer a shock, uh, if you're going to move flat out like cool. that. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of, uh, the opening scene of, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, once you're once you're getting in there, um, and and trying to reestablish yourself, you you end up with with that shock, that confusion. Uh, yep. the, okay, are we all here? Who who got taken out as we were moving in? So, uh, and and the other interesting thing with movement, Kevin and and, and Chris, is that whatever you roll, you go. Oh, it's, there's no it's, like, oh shit, I only rolled a four. I needed to go six, so I'm only gonna go two. So I'm still back here. No, you, you rolled that four. You were four. stuck in, co- in open. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're committing, and that's what. So you you better you better damn well know you want to do. But it that's then. also realistic, yeah, ex- right? Like you don't know yep. how far you're yep. going to be able exactly. to get. And if you get caught with your, I mean, sometimes you start to move and you get caught with your ass in the air, right? Like that. I actually like that a lot. That when you when you move, yeah, and, you're. And, and part of the way I I envision it is not necessarily that those guys are moving too slow, but if you if you end up getting shot at that the 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 opposing squad saw you and and reacted quickly and is now shooting at you while you're in the middle of that move all right well let's talk about the the activation style in general walk us through um you know how these phases actually work and how play passes from one player to the other Sure. Uh, this is actually probably one of the more unique aspects of it because it does tie in the fog of war mechanic. As a, as I said before, you have a random number of phases to make up each turn. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a phase is just a group of activations and each player has a, a certain amount of command dice that they roll at the beginning of their phase. Uh, if you're a standard platoon, it's five dice. If you're an elite platoon, it's going to be six. 
And if you're like Russians who are scraped off the street and just handed a rifle and told to go, and if you come back, we shoot you, it might be a four. Okay. And depending on what numbers show up when you make that roll depends on what types of units you can activate. All right. Interesting. So walk me through how that works. What what the one through six mechanics do. Absolutely. Going to do it. And, and this also ties into uh, determining who has the next phase and when the turn ends. Okay. All of that is determined by this dice roll. And you go back and forth with this, right? So, like, I roll my six, do whatever those six do, and then presumably the next person does, unless there's some sort of scenario that comes up where I might be able to double phase. Correct. There, there are double phases, uh, and, and elite armies tend to be very good at double phases because of that one extra dice. Got it. Uh, that they've actually gone back and, and facted it to kind of take away the the chances of multiple phases in a row. Okay. Um, which I've, I've been on the downs. I've been on the receiving end of three phases in a row. It wasn't pretty. Doesn't sound like it. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal, but I mean, again, simulation as opposed to game. Right. So if you roll a one, that means that you can activate any individual team. Mm-hmm. So an individual team would be say snipers, flamethrowers, a rifle team from from your main platoon or the machine gun team from the main right, platoon. Right, BAR, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whatever guys are attached to his team. So the the downside to activating like them like that is that the only thing they can do is move and shoot. If you roll a 2, you can activate an entire squad. All right. All right. So if so if you have if you have your squad which is made up of of um, like say my Germans, they're made up of a MG 42 team and then six riflemen, And they're all within, you know, those two, uh, teams are within four inches of each other. Uh, they can all activate together on a two. Neat. Okay. Again, mm-hmm. again, that's going to be, um, move and coordinate order. Yep. Got it. Right. All right. On a three, you get to activate a junior leader. All right, and your junior leaders tend to be your non-commissioned officer who is in charge of each of those squads. All right, but and and you might be going, but Paul, you just said you could activate them on a one or a two. The advantage, though, is that if you do it through a junior leader, the junior leader has command initiative points that they can use to uh, do different things with those units. So not just move, right? them, you know, buff them up a little bit or. Yes, exactly. So, so um, they can also, the other important thing they can do is they can remove shock from them. Got right? it. And that's, that's probably big, which is, which is absolutely huge. Right. So they can remove shock. Then they can use an, uh, so like a junior leader would have two initiative points to be able to use. So they could be like, all right, going to pull the shock off of you. And you know, this, squad or this team is going to activate and and they're going to command them to do that uh plus they that also gives you access to the different countries special abilities uh like the the walk-in fire um like you need to spend two command initiatives to be able to do that right so yeah so if you just had a squad of americans who doesn't have a junior leader attached they can't activate on that too and use walk and fire. Uh huh. Okay. So it's, so you have to be thinking about how you're going to use that and you can't activate the same, uh, team in twice in the same 
turn phase. in the same phase. Got it. Right. So it's not like, oh, I'll use this two to get this whole squad closer to this leader here, and then he'll activate them. You can't do that. Um, but now you could do that and have do it next phase, and blah, blah, blah. And then on a four, you have a senior leader. And these guys are your, your true officers. Um, they get three command initiative. Their initiative is... Uh, their their bubble's a little bit bigger, and they're never naturally attached to um, a unit. Right, they're more right, at so, the platoon level. Yeah, right. exactly. So they, I mean, they, you kind once they're out on the table, you kind of want to put them into a group so this way uh, they're not getting picked off by a sniper um, because the sniper will kill them in one shot. All right, so that's the four. So that's your senior leader on a five. Fives bring us to another unique point of, of chain of command is five gives you one point towards getting a chain of command die. Okay, okay so, so what's that? So any any five-year-old gets taken off and, and they make little, you know, you can print up a little dashboard. and So basically once you have six of them, you, that's equivalent to a chain of command die. Chain of command die lets you do special things in game. Um, one of the things it does is it allows you to end a turn. Um, you can, which is, which is surprisingly powerful. You can move your jump off points, which are your deployment. We didn't get into that yet, but that's a unique aspect of the game. So you can move your jump off points and change where you're deploying. Um, you can use a chain of command to move your sniper, put, put them anywhere on the table within 18 inches of where he was. So, uh, you have a, a, an opposing unit that's kind of figuring out where he is or has figured it out. You get him the fuck out of there. There's something else. And I can't think of what it is right off the top of my head. Uh, so That's I apologize right. for that. Uh, but that gives you an idea of, of some of the more powerful things that you can do. Oh, you can interrupt. No need. So like if, if somebody's like, all right, I'm going and I'm going to roll my chain of command dice, you can be like, no, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. So one of my units can either move or shoot. So it's like, oh, these guys are obviously going to shoot me, but they're stuck out in the open. I'm going to take this chance and, and hit them again. Um, but so, it's an expensive resource, right? It's six fives. Oh, yeah. yeah, six fives. That means you've had to have rolled six fives in, in each one of the, or one, uh, you know, in, in each one of these. And you have, what, 16% chance on each die? And and the downside is that when you're rolling fives, that means you're not activating units. Yep. Right. So that's what fives do. Sixes, one six kind of sucks. Because if you roll one six, it takes away from what you can use and gives you absolutely no benefit. It doesn't change the game at all, other than reduces the amount of stuff you can activate. All right, so six, is, so one six is basically ignored, and so if one or no sixes are rolled, the next player would have the next phase. Aha! But box cars need you double turn. If you get two sixes, basically it's a balance there, right? That now you you're at a point now where only four of your dice are doing anything, but you, you get, get to the roll next them again. phase. But you get to roll them again. You get to go again. Okay. If you roll three sixes, the turn ends. Okay. Okay. And that can be huge because if you have units on the table or teams on the table that are pinned from having too much shock on them, gone. They're out of there. Oh, boy. So, and your opponent can force that yes. against you, essentially. With the command yep. dice. With the With command the dice. Command dice. And then the other thing that happens is once you're pinned in a turn, you are pinned for the rest of that turn, even if you have your shock reduced. Once the turn ends, 
if your shock is below the number of guys on your team, you're no longer pinned. So the smart Got thing it. to do is if you know you have a double turn and you have a bunch of command dice, you get shock off of your guys, end the turn, and then go again, and, and suddenly you have another unit that's activating, especially if your opponent has pinned ones, because then your guys are freed up and you're getting them off the table. Neat. Yeah, so it's a, so it's a pretty interesting uh, dynamic there. And if you roll four sixes, there's a table of random events that can happen in the middle of the battle. Um, like, for instance, uh, planes are overhead shooting at the battlefield. Nobody knows whose side they are, so everybody ducks. You know, so nobody can move for the next two or three phases or something along those lines. Got it. Hmm. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, so it's a it's a pretty interesting dynamic. A good way of representing the fog of war, since you never really know what you're going to be able to activate or who's going to be able to do what they what they want. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's kind of like when you know you said that fog of the you said fog of war and. I was trying to think of the words in my brain to come up with that, but that's that's a perfect way to say that. Right, and since it's since it's not trying to be a competitive game, they don't have to necessarily worry too much about balancing it, so you can have more of that fog of war aspect. Gotcha. So it gives them gives them some leeway to make it a little more thematic. Neat. Um. Uh. So how how does uh now that we've talked about all that. How do you go about uh, starting this game? Uh, uh, force construction, deployment, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was, I was curious about that because I mean, you, you mentioned off you know squads, platoons, and all this other stuff. I'm like, how are you putting all of that together? Yeah, sounds really complicated, right? It does. Um, it, 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 maybe. To the uneducated. Yeah, it's not. It's really not because these guys have done all of their research and it's based on how platoons were actually set up for in in the actual military right so you're using whatever country you're using you're actually using their their country's force arch force org charts exactly that's that's (laughs) that's exactly what it is right so um for instance my germans i'm bringing a basic german infantry platoon right and so when i when i and and you can get the the rule book in pdf or you can order you know hardcover books from them um you know, all, all on their website. Really cheap, too. But I open it up. I go to the infantry platoon, and it tells me everything I get. Right? So I know that uh, I look at it. I have a platoon headquarters, which is going to be a senior leader, and uh, a Panzer Shrek team. So basically a bazooka equivalent. Yep. And then I get three squads on top of that. Each squad has a junior leader with a uh, machine pistol, um, a Panzerfaust in case there's any tanks, and then a light machine gun team and a rifle team. The light machine gun team, there's two crew on the team, somebody to fire it, somebody to load it, and then they also have a rifleman, and then the rifle team is six riflemen. That's simple. That's my platoon. And what, So when, uh, you're, when you're putting these platoons together, are you getting to pick and choose what models you want like you can in most games, or because it's so set in the structure of these, of these you know, historical militaries, do you have to take those models? Yes, you take you, what is in that platoon. Gotcha. Yeah, you, so what, I would, what you'd be looking to do when you're buying historical minis is making sure that they have the right weapons attached to them and then picking the poses that you like, right? Yeah, so pretty, pretty it's, much. It's really make, it's making sure the uniform matches the weapon, but then outside of that, you get to have a little bit more creative freedom. 
Yeah, and and each of the in the main rule book, and one of the cool things they do is they have what are called p- pint size campaigns, uh, and the idea is that they go through and they put together campaigns, and then they sell them for whatever the uh, whatever pints are going at their local pub. That's neat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So and and some of those will have more platoons uh, depending on when they're set. Like the 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 core rule book uh, for this is set late war Europe. Right, so basically, it's going to cover uh, England, the U.S., Germany, and the Soviets. So it covers those four countries. There's a, a Blitzkrieg expansion, uh, covers some French and some Belgium, some early war German, and they're surprisingly different because the there was some equipment that just didn't exist. Um, but each each one in this main rule book has three different platoons to choose from. So, all right, uh, that, so that's quick neat. question there, Paul. It, it, I mean, sorry, Chops. Um, are there no Japanese covered in it? Or is that more like, are there more like Pacific kind of campaigns that you can play for those? There, There is a Saipan uh, campaign. I don't remember if I read that it was coming out or if it's already out. Um, I believe the Saipan one's already out. That has some U.S. Marines and, and Japanese in it. Uh, but apparently they're making a compendium of uh, Far East lists. Uh, because so many people have gone and, and made lists and had blessings from two fat lardies that like, yes, that one works. That's good. Um, and so they're kind of making a, a PDF for a consolidated version of, of all of those. So this way people will be able to easily access them. Well, that's cool that they're working with the community to oh, make, yeah. like that to do it. That's really awesome of them. Yep. Absolutely. Like basically the community started filling in gaps the moment the game came out. So each each one of the each one of the units or each country has basically three platoons: your your infantry platoon, a, a motor, an armored platoon, and then a airborne platoon. Uh, airborne's always tend to be the the best one. Um, and each of, and so I gotta I gotta kind of cover two things here real quick because uh, this goes into setting up the game. Um, platoons have a force rating. Because yes, it's simulation, but they do understand that it's a game, so you don't want to just be like, "Oh, look, my you know, shitty Soviet army is getting destroyed by British paratroopers or, or German paratroopers." So platoons have a force rating, uh, depending on how good they are, and that force rating contributes to uh, what they call your support points, and your support points are extra units that you can bring to the table. So that kind of brings out some of the balance. Okay. Now, are there any kind of mandatory troop choices that you have to take, kind of like in Legion, where you have to take like three troop well, units or you, things like that? You have yeah, to take the platoon. Like you have to pick a platoon, right? You have to yes. pick one of the three and then stick to the org chart. Yes, you have to. You okay. have to pick a platoon because it's a platoon game, right? Mm-hmm. That's 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 what the game basically is. So if you don't have yep. a platoon, you don't have a game. Yep. Um. So once you p- pick your platoon. Uh, one of the things that you'll do is you will compare your force rating to your opponent's force rating. And whoever has the lower number, the difference between the two, that's how many support points they get. So, for instance, I played a basic infantry, a regular infantry platoon who has a force rating of zero into Bob's American Airborne, who had a uh, platoon force rating of one. So I got one support point out of that. Okay. And then the cool thing is that you get a list of supports, and there's uh, 11 lists, essentially. However many points you have, you can spend however you want on those lists, 
right? So if uh, you end up with a difference of seven, I could choose one from seven, which could be um, a Panzer IV, uh, or seven from list one. So I could have seven minefields. So you, can, so you, you kind of uh, build your list that way, and that's where your balance comes in. Um, and then you also roll a die, depending on what scenario you're playing, can give you different supports as well, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, no, right. because okay. of a scenario, it's like you're guarding a farmhouse, right? You might have supports based on what if you're the assaulting team or the defending team or whatever, right? Right, and the and the from what I've looked at when I've looked at the different scenarios, whoever is the attacker tends to have more, and the defender gets half of whatever the attacker has. Got it. Then that totally makes sense, right? Because yeah, you, it's hard as the as <laughs> as the attacker, it's much harder. Yeah, in a yep, game right. like this, yep. Because the onus on then, you is to move, and moving is hell risky. Exactly, exactly. And then, and then on top of that, you would have your support points based on the difference as well, right? So if if I'm attacking somebody who has a much higher platoon rating, not only am I getting twice as many support points from the dice roll, then I'm also getting the difference between our our abilities. Yep. Cool. And it nice. sounds like a lot. It always sounds like a lot, but functionally, it isn't because you still only have five command dice to roll yeah no it sounds pretty straightforward actually um i mean from a it, from a how complicated it could be right it's, yeah it seems exactly pretty it's pretty straightforward it's, it's pretty simple because now, you're you're locked into your platoons and and seriously i built the platoon out of 30 dollar infantry box from from bolt action that's amazing now, talk to me a little bit, because you said deployment was a little wacky, and I've been thinking about it ever since you said it, so... Okay, good. It's, a, it's, it's one of the major, major uh, draws of the game, and actually, it's the, it's the aspect of the game that, uh, when I was watching, I don't know, bat reps on something I, I was looking at at the time, it just kind of pulled into this and, and saw it, and I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. All right. Um, so you don't deploy like you do in any other game, right? So like most other games you have like, all right, you're on that side of the table. I'm on this side of the table. I got this six inches. I can put zone. all my guys here. Yeah. Uh, Legion is probably one of the more interesting ones because they have elves and, and Malifaux as well. Um, this one, you don't have any of that. What you end up with instead is something called the patrol phase. And in the patrol phase, depending on what scenario you're playing, depends on where you start off with your patrol markers. Um, and just to keep it simple, I'll, I'll just describe the one that I used, which is was a scenario called the patrol. All right. Well, hold, um, hold on. Before we do this, what, yeah. si what size is a battlefield? In it's a six game? by four. Six by six four. by four. Okay. Yes. Uh, and, and they've actually figured it out based on, on what miniature sizes you have that how far that is and stuff like that i i believe basically they said it was like four to six uh proper football fields okay but i mean six by four is, is plenty for either 15 or 28 mil right and that's just it is size right and they and and what they've said is that it's it's spot on for 15 mil 28 mil you know the models are just going to look more dramatic got it which is why we went 28 mil um all right, so you're playing on a 6x4, and, and the scenario that, that Bob and I have played is called the patrol. And you each each side of the table is then divided into three squares, and each one of us rolled a die, and that told us 
which square we would start off in, right? And and our patrol markers, uh, we got to pick whether we wanted three or four of them. They started in the center of the square uh, that we ended up with on the table edge. Okay, you with me? Understood. Okay, yep. so they in this in this scenario they end up stacked. So if you have three, there's three piled high or, or four or four piled high. Yep, and, and then in what you, you one of your three squares on your side. Yeah, whichever, and it, and it was a random roll. So like Got for it. me, I ended up with my square to the left. Bob ended up with his in the in the central square. Right, it's like one, two on the left, three, four in the middle, five, six on the right. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, and afterwards, I looked at it and said, if either of us had ended up in a different square, it would have been a 100% completely different game without moving a single bit of terrain. Which right off the bat, we amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then what ends up happening is I have these, these this stack of three, uh, we use poker chips, it doesn't really matter because really you're always measuring from the center. Mm-hmm. And then you, you take turns moving one and... Uh, you can move them. You move them one at a time. Has to stay within twelve of at least another patrol marker. Okay. So yep. as you're moving, so like I would move one, you would move one, I would move one, uh, you would move one, back and forth, right? As soon as one of those patrol markers comes to within twelve inches of an opponent's, it's locked down. It doesn't move again. Okay. Okay. As soon as. One player has all their patrol markers locked down. The patrol phase stops, right? And all of them are exactly where they are. Now, you use those patrol markers to determine where your, where your jump-off points are, which is where your units can come onto the table, okay? Because the idea of the patrol markers is, hey, we had you know a couple scouts out there. They got into a small firefight here. We're going to you know deploy just a little bit off of that. Right, so that's where your guys are meeting up and then going out and in, into the battle. So you have to you you basically what you do at that point, and this is this is a li- sounds a lot more complicated than it is, but you uh, take the two enemy patrol markers that are closest to the one that you have that you want to make a jump off point, and you make a line to each of them, and it basically it forms an X, right, and then you deploy six inches back from the patrol point in the in the marker that it, it formed and i know okay. that's really hard to envision the way i described it no 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 i had my eyes closed and i was trying to see it so yeah i, I get it um that's fascinating actually because you have this little pre-game before the game to set up how deployment's going to work and that's how it would right. have been like right people wandering around mm-hmm. scared of when they were going to run into an enemy mm-hmm. platoon yep and then and then you you have to be six inches back from that marker and then um, immediately behind or within terrain. Yeah, so the that ba- totally also makes sense because no one would, after after doing any level of reconnaissance, would walk right out into the open. Exactly. Right. Right. And if you and if you're and if you're in a situation where there is no terrain for you to be immediately behind, or if it doesn't give you the full six inches, then you go all the way back to the table edge. All right, so there aren't necessarily like the the game doesn't want to be so realistic that there's that you're actually playing like an ambush, right? Because that would not necessarily be fun. Um, but that that still may, means that you can be in a really disadvantage like disadvantageous uh, position right off the bat if you're not careful in the patrol phase. 
Absolutely. And that, and that's exactly what happened to me. I thought I was being all smart and tried to lock down two of Bob's markers that were stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. um, which was, uh, I thought at the time, a brilliant move. And then he just moved his other two to within 12 inches of that same marker. And his were pretty much spread out evenly across the exact center of the table. And my other three, because I had, I had four of them, were all smushed together and it gave me almost no variation in where I deployed. Got it. So now on top of that, um, you don't start the game deployed. From there, you go immediately into that phase process, right? So you're still rolling your command dice, except now you're using those one, two, three, or four to deploy your units. All right. So the poker chips are still on the table at this point. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, because you're, you're making new ones for the jump off points. And that's basically yeah. all you have on the table. So I could roll my one, two, three, fours and look and see what I want to deploy. Or I might not deploy anything. I might wait and see what the other team does. Like if I'm if I'm defending, I want to know where they're attacking before I commit any units. And what prevents you from just going back and forth like that playing chicken? Um eventually you gotta play the game. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, eventually you're going to you're going to put something out there because if if my opponent does put something out there and I never put anything out, they're going to achieve whatever their objective is. Well, is there a turn uh, yeah, turn limit or objective? Okay, so like the defender might have to defend for four full turns or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some stuff along those lines. Um cuz so part of it is that uh, you have a, a force morale for your army overall, you know, kind of depending on, on what their mindset is approaching the battle. Mm-hmm. And different occurrences in the game can reduce that. So basically you're convincing your opponent that they don't want to be in this fight any longer. Got uh, it. So you don't necessarily have to kill them all. If that makes sense as well. It does, it does. Um, so All like right. the scenario, scenario we played, the objective was to reduce your opponent to a, a force morale of three or, or to zero while you stayed above three. Um, there's another one where basically the, the attacker just has to get to the baseline, get one unit to the baseline on the other side of the table. Just trying like to break through on, on Legion. Yep. yep. Take some territory. Yeah, and so depending on where your jump-off points are and what they deploy, if you have nothing on the table, you might be screwed because they might have a straight run. Scary. Yeah, because you're not necessarily starting at the far end of the table. God, I'm not making this game sound boring, am I? No, not at all. Um, I was just processing the the actual mechanics and how that works. So how many scenarios are in the book? Uh, Six of them. Six right, of them. So you have six scenarios, and then there's a lot of variation just inside how each scenario plays, just based on deployment. And it sounds also like what platoon you bring against your opponent's platoon. So the six scenarios actually balloons out to many, many iterations, right? Because like oh, absolutely, one scenario with th- with you know six of those sort of deployment squares. Uh, that scenario actually is incredibly variable and those don't necessarily play out the same at all. Right. And then even at that, you could reroll your support points and one game you might end up with a, a one and then another game you might end up with a six. 
right which then right. completely changes what you bring and the other cool thing about the support points is that you you don't you don't necessarily um have to pick them until you've you've seen the table but they're secret information right so you write them down but your opponent doesn't know what they are until they are on the table right and that that's like the the sniper thing right like they don't necessarily know you have a sniper but right. they might see what your deployment markers are and then go oh boy he can put a sniper x inches away from that marker scary business Right, or like like in the one good thing I had going for me in my game was that I was able to put my sniper in an upstairs window of a farmhouse and then basically control two-thirds of the board. Oof. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah. except there's one really does. good shot at a senior leader. Uh, he, Bob rolled a one on the effect, so it didn't do anything. That was a bummer. Um, but yeah, so there's there's such great variation in that. And the other thing I'm getting at with the support point thing is that you might bring something to predict something that your opponent might have and then they don't have it so you never even bring that other support on the table on yeah yeah so like like um for instance you could have uh barbed wire say you say your opponent's defending um and you're thinking all right they're they might bring barbed wire so i'm gonna bring an engineer uh team so this way they can get rid of the barbed wire and then you get there and suddenly they put out three minefields and you're like, fuck, I didn't bring, you know, mine clearing engineers. Mine are just barbed wire. I'm screwed on that. Oh, well. So it's well, like it's you're, give, you're given what you have from the platoon, you know, from platoon command. Right. And you hope you need it. Well, I mean, again, very realistic in a kind of war setting. You've, yep. you've got what you've been given. Exactly. And, and so I. I, I'm a little – it's really weird, right, because, you know, one of the things we talked about pre-show is we talked about how Chain of Command is more of a, you know, going for a little bit more realism, whereas uh, Bolt Action is kind of like put together two perfectly even point-matched forces and then play a game. Mm-hmm. But there there are balances here. It just, yes. it, it just sounds like the asymmetry – comes from a little bit of like what each force can bring and then the sort of like wiliness of each commander on either side of the table. Yeah, absolutely. Scenario. Uh, which is, which is one of the really cool things about it. Like uh, all of, all of all, almost every platoon in this book, you know, there's a, there, they have bazookas or panzer Shreks or Piats, but you know, if, if somebody doesn't have armor, they're kind of not, worth even bringing out because if 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 you get them killed that adds to you know that's a that's a team kill so that takes away from your force morale right and, and they're once, so and once they're, that's they're, a zero you're they're done. like solo operators right or like they're, they're it's it's easier to get the kill point on them right like like it's two guys so right and if, if there's and not if armor really, for them to crack yeah and if you think out? about it like that makes sense right because in in the actual war setting uh, that person going down like it can effectively reduce the like that that's the person that's trained to use that weapon right, right. and it, once the squad realizes that one of their big defenses is gone uh, that's a heavy hit on the team's morale because they know they don't know how long they're going to go before they're supported by command mm-hmm. uh, and and that that's reflected by the fact that like that smaller team getting killed actually has a very large adverse effect on your entire platoon morale i like that a lot yep that's really and, cool and, and the other cool thing too is like uh your panzer shreks and your bazookas um 
they get three shots, right? Because they can only carry so much ammo. They get right. three shots. Then they're out of ammo, and then they have to go back to a jump-off point to see if they can can re-ammo. Yeah, go back for resupply. Uh-huh. And what's the is the and now how about your standard line troops? Like, is there any ammunition on your stand? Like, even on a BAR or like your standard M1s? Like, because again, you know, you've only got so much gear you can carry. Yeah, your stand your standard infantry doesn't have a, a limited amount of ammo. Um, your your flamethrowers do. Um, so, so really your, your, your real special specialist ones are, are limited because, uh, from, from doing my own research, the, uh, flamethrower during world war two had about eight seconds worth of fuel, yep, which is kind of shoots, scary. It shoots real hot and real far. Yep. Yeah. So to represent that, uh, a flamethrower team can only shoot in three different phases. Yep. I mean, right. That yeah, that tracks right, I mean, and because you don't need to have that thing turned on for very long, right? No, you gi- and, you give that thing a, the juice, and whatever it's pointed at is on fire and dying. So, right, and so then that means you have to decide, okay, which jump off point are they coming out at that they can do their their most a bit of of damage, and then can I keep them alive and and out of the way afterwards? And I do have a question, just from like a, a you know how far into the realism these guys went. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the, what? What are the risks for those those flamethrower teams taking shots? Um, like what I mean is, is there a risk of tanks exploding or um, anything? We I, and again, I don't. I guess I don't know if those tanks were actually. I'm, they had to have been pressurized, right? For the way that oh, the flames come uh, out of them. Yeah. See, well, the I mean, kind of the the upside of that. Uh, I don't think there's any representation for. A, a tank getting hit um but yeah you definitely didn't want that to to happen um but what what basically the disadvantage to them is that there's only two people on that team got it right and so a team is pinned when they have shock equal to the number of members of the team got so it's easy to pin so them they down. can they can shock easy right so so two successful hits against them could could pin them right the other thing is that once you have shock double the amount of people on your team you break and run yep so if you have two shock and then more shots come in and one of your team members dies you don't get any more shock from dying but now you're still breaking because the guy with the tank on his back is like fuck jim's dead i'm out of i here. gotta go yep. yeah i gotta i'm bouncing my buddy i call it the oh my god my friends are dead check yeah, that's exactly what it is. And at that point, you basically go 3D6 plus 6 and get the fuck out of there. Yep. GTFO, buddy. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah so 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 it's more represented by, by that. And and the scary thing is that it's got some of that old school uh, Warhammer fantasy where if you break through another unit, the other unit goes with you. Oh, no. Cause they're, oh, right, because they see you running. Right. They're like, shit, whatever's up there is bad. I'm out. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So they, there's right. there's a lot of a lot of that type of stuff. All right, what's next? What you got? Well, what do you I, want I, I, another question. I mean, the only the only other question I had is like because you you mentioned that it's mostly late war Europe, right? Um, uh, in in the main rulebook, yeah. I'm assuming that's to make the the most fun out of the weapon variability and the armor that you can bring onto the board. Um, 
I don't know that I have any other specific questions. I just, you know, for anybody who's listening, want to try to maybe think about why it might have been like late war does seem like the more, the most interesting uh, because the like technological process or progress was like very fast in world yeah. war two. And so late war, mm-hmm. you had a lot more tanks available and anti-tank weaponry and all that stuff, be, you know, became more available uh, as the war went on. Yeah. They, they adapted to as the technology adapted as the war went on yeah, when, when, you know, X country made this, we had to adapt and make this to respond. Right. right. Yeah. There's yeah. And, and it's kind of the widest, uh, uh, batch of of weapons for for all of those main countries so yeah i think that was plus it's kind of the the quintessential at at least for us on this side of the pond yeah right because we 42 to 44 is when we were involved yeah we entered late war yep um but i mean i mean there is a whole expansion on blitzkrieg um and there's lots of like some of the scenarios on that are really neat um because there's there's delaying there's one called the delaying action where uh, a player, basically your your uh, allied player, is trying to destroy bridges to stop the German tank advance, uh, and and obviously the Germans are, are trying to stop that. So you get some engineers riding up on on bikes and you know motorcycles trying to blow a bridge before they get killed, kind of stuff. Um, so some really fascinating uh, scenarios based off of off of that early war stuff as well. Sure, sure. Oh, 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 I did think of something. Talk to me a little bit about the the shock and pinning system. Like, how do you, what forces you to take the, what forces the, the morale system to come into play? Uh, how do you become, how do you translate pins and shock value? And what are the, what, what is the mechanical uh, disadvantage from being pinned? Sure. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question there, sir. Um, so, all right, let's start with shock. So uh, when, when we were talking about, uh, shot resolution, shooting resolution earlier, we had talked about the fact that, uh, um, like if you roll a, a, a three and a four, it's a shock, a five and a six is a kill, right? So each time you get one of those, you get a shock. You're pinned when your your shock, shock reaches the number of people on your on team, your team. Or, or your squad, right? Yep. Once that happens, you're pinned. You can't move, and you fire at half strength because right, everybody's keeping their Because everyone's down. on the ground, right? Right. Um, if you if if you're still getting fired at, um, you once your your shock reaches twice the number of men in that squad or team or that's what, that's whatever, when you run. they bolt. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, on top of that, you have your overall force morale, right? And there's lots of different things that can tie into that, like a team getting killed. So basically, it's a, there's a whole table called bad things happen. So whenever <laughs> one of these things happens, uh, yeah, you know, like Malifaux, um, uh, you roll a die and depending on what you roll, it, it determines how, how it's affected your force morale. So like... If you have a, say, that bazooka team that you brought out to take out the German armor is now getting shot at uh, and is wiped out, both guys are killed, you roll a d6. On a 3+, uh, your force morale goes down by 1. All right. Okay. It's that simple because they're like, all right, well, he's, uh, they're dead. Sucks to be them. Um, surprisingly, it's worse if a team breaks... Uh, that's on a two plus you lose a point and if you roll a six you lose two points oof um because people are going ah shit they're running it must be bad 
and then you can go all the way down to like a junior leader getting killed. You roll, you have a 50-50 chance at either being losing one point or two points. Senior leader routing, uh, it's going to be two or three points depending on what you roll. So uh, both of those things are uh, making you really get out there. If your opponent captures a jump off point, you know that's obviously you've lost a significant amount of ground. So your guys are getting uh, a little nervous about that. Right, the, the, the force morale is random at the beginning of your game. Um, so you roll basically at the beginning to figure out uh, how your troops are feeling that day. <laughs> right. Huh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, so depending on what you roll, basically you're going to start off between uh, 8 and 11. Right, I mean, did they did they eat their Wheaties or are they hungry and tired, right? Like... Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, and. And as you build, as you build uh, campaigns, you could, you know, have that affect uh, what people are doing. And then once you get to below five, it start has an effect on the game. Like at four, right. you lose a command die, which is kind of scary. Bad news. At three, you yeah. lose two of them. And if your force morale is down to two, you lose two of your command dice and you lose a jump off point. Scary. So if you're if That's you're a Russian good. if you're a Russian squad, that means you're on two dice that you're rolling in a phase. No good. Um, and then once you get down to a one, you lose three dice and then it's a zero. You're either routed or surrendered anyway. So got it. All right. Yeah. So, so um, that, that all, that all plays a, a really big, big part in the game. So, I so, so you mentioned something campaigns, obviously this game probably has a ton of versatility in playing in something like a, in a campaign setting with obviously it's, it's core, you know, with, what's the word I'm looking for the, the era that it's set in. So how does the does it, how does the campaign system work for the game? So there's a couple of different ways. Uh, one of them there is a a complete PDF uh, available that is I think it's called the Sharp End, um, where it's it's all campaign and I most of it I believe uses the same six scenarios from the main rulebook, but it tells you how to uh, depending on what you played and who won. Uh, it kind of almost does a, a back and forth on what scenarios you play. Chris, if you and I were playing and you won, it would push us to to one on your side, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, I would become the defender and you would be the attacker. And then if you won again, it would kind of be the same thing. But then if I win, it starts flipping us the other way. So it's almost like a ladder system. Gotcha. Um, but it also takes into account uh, what ended up happening in games prior. And, and I think this is kind of an interesting one and, and worth highlighting um, is that, you know, you, each of your, your squads have a NCO in charge of them. Right. And so if your squad doesn't like their NCO and he becomes wounded and they have to move off of his position and they don't like him, they leave him there. Hmm. If he's somebody, if he's well-liked by his squad... Instead of leaving him there, they pick him up and carry him with them. Huh. So, you know, that type of like, oh, look, he's uh, down. He must be dead. Oh, did I see his eyes flutter? No, it doesn't matter. He's, he's done. Let's go. Um, so it kind of takes that into account as well. So there's, there's lots of fascinating things uh, like that for, for the campaign system. How's it, how's it translating to do, like, you know, I know a lot of the, the historical gamers are, are big into those you know, big battle reenactments, like how does it play into those kind of things? Uh, well, there's a, a game mode called Big Chain of Command. 
And basically with that one, it's designed to be several platoons on each side. So everybody takes control of their platoon and kind of somebody's uh, maybe in, in charge in charge of being able to say like, well, you know, you're going to get the next phase or I'm going to take this phase. Um, so instead of just upping, you know, like say support points or whatever, it just, just adds more, more squads to it. Um, so, it, so it's kind of interesting. I haven't, I'm actually going to partake in a game of that next weekend. Um, so I'll be able to talk more about that later, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about that just to see how that works compared to, uh, one-on-one. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's a, it's a really cool game. It's a really cool system. Um, there's a lot of the pint-sized campaigns are based on uh, actual battles, so you can kind of kind of reenact them, or you can just play your your basic scenarios and and kind of make up your own, which is what Bob and I are doing. And since I ended up losing this one, I'm going to be the defender on the next one, and he's going to be the attacker, and we'll see if he gets to push me back more. Very nice. Yeah, so even though we don't even though when we started this we weren't using any campaign rules, we kind of made our own story and, and campaign for it. That's cool though. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I mean, I mean I asked I asked Bob after we played uh the first time I said, given the time spent, the money spent, the amount of time that we've talked to each other about this, if you never played another game, was it worth it? And he said, Absolutely. Like hmm. Barely had barely matters, right? barely had the question out, and I mean that's with him going, and he spent days getting the table ready, and and I I posted some pictures in Discord of of the table, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, he went to Hobby Lobby and got a nice mat, picked up trees, and and put put you know little gravel out so we'd have a road around the house, and um, uh, once we got out there, I mean it was it was. Uh, it just set the tone for the game so well. It was it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed that like I mean the tables you sent like definitely with the the terrain looked really cool. I did not realize he went through all that with the gravel and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I didn't realize that was just like loose stuff. That's that's really cool that he that did was that. that that was all loose gravel that he just kind of put down, um, you know, and and he did he did a really precise job at at having it you know pretty standard size the whole way across and. He made he made bases for his trees and then put gravel on that. Is the amount of the amount of effort that he put into making that table was amazing. I just showed up and and put the house down and and put a few trees out. He did all the hard work. Um, so thanks to him for that. But it was it was great. I mean, it really did. It set the mood and and that's kind of the thing. Is that overall I'm just shocked at how much I've been enjoying this. And I know I keep saying that, but it just it just still kind of blows my mind that. Um, I'm enjoying every aspect of this, uh, like especially the hobbying stuff, far more than I ever did in in any other game. Well, when, I I for one love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, saying that, I mean, so I mean, obviously, understandable. You're having a, t- a ton of fun with the game. Is there anything you don't like about the game? Like taking it from that standpoint. Um. Yes, I. The rules uh, are somewhat bulky. Um, and sometimes just figuring out what might have been intended uh, can be a little tricky at times. Um, but again, these are like, you know, this isn't like a major company where you're like, well, you should have thought of this. You know, these are like two guys out of their garage making rule sets. Um, so I kind of forgive it a bit more in that situation. 
But I will say while we were playing, uh, anytime we had a question come up, we just put it into the Facebook group. And by the time, you know, we were like, all right, well, let's do something else and then we'll check. By the time we checked back, we had an answer and, and knew how to play it. That's great. That's, so, that's, a, that's, that's always great to be a part of a community like that. Yeah, and then also after after the game that we played, we found we then we decided to find the fact and and look at what was in the fact. So that was helpful as well, um, which was good because definitely some of the things were clarified and and some things that they found uh, might have been a little little too far off balance. They they adjusted like elite troopers their uh, their platoon ratings tended to go up uh, fairly significantly in some places. Like now I know next time that when I play Bob's. Uh, airborne platoon i get three more support points than i did before yeah because bob's playing uh brits right no 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 bob's playing americans oh um, he is playing american oh that's right yeah, yeah. He, was, he is a paratrooper right <laughs> yeah he was he was in the 82nd uh during the 80s so i i gave him that right away i was like i guess right. i'll be germans um jim jumped in with the german paratroopers which might be one of the scariest platoons uh in this book you mean the british uh, paratroopers yeah what did i say Germans, because I remember you when you guys were here recording at my house the other night. We we well, God, we were here till like eleven o'clock talking a little bit about chain of command and the the weird British uh, technology that was coming out towards that time period with oh, the, the, tank, the... <laughs> tanks being thrown on uh, bipe, uh, biplanes and things like that or whatever. Yeah, it was. the uh, yeah the the Tetrarch tank that somehow they figured might be a good thing to throw in a glider and drop in Normandy. Um, although although I found out even though those tanks were ineffective. Uh, like against the panzers uh, basically they did make the panzers turn around and go investigate what tanks were landing behind them uh, which bought a lot of time for for the beach landings to be successful so even though they weren't actually combat effective they had a, a, a tangible effect on on d-day they had a use yeah exactly and then uh we were also talking about the the weird little motorcycle yeah those things were look cool <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we it talked like about they were on razors. <laughs> and we also talked about the uh, the Russian bomb dogs. Yep, yep. You guys had to bring that in some somehow. Of course, um, but yeah. So like their their uh, their airborne platoon is uh, uh, multiple machine gun teams, multiple snipers, and uh, a mortar team built in. So it's Ooh, it's geez. kind of scary. Yeah, it's it's quite scary. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that because elite troops are, are harder to hit as well. Um, but on the upside, their their platoon rating is is in the book. It's plus eight, but I think he got errated to plus nine. So I guess maybe I just drop a tank on him. You got enough now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tank war, this tank war German starter box. I got six tanks to build. That's how that's how into this I got. It's scratching my itch for for a game um, in the same setting with multiple levels. Oh, there's a lot to be said for yep. that. Yep. But yeah, so I think I think some of the the bulkiness of the rules is kind of the challenge, and I think I think part of that might be my mistake because the PDF I have is meant to be used on a on a, a tablet, and I printed it, so I have no page numbers. That always that always hurts. Yeah, so I can see where like I would I would click on it and it would take me to something, um, but obviously I can't do that on a piece of paper. Right. So at some point I'll have to buy the, uh, you know, version with page numbers and and that would that would probably make it easier. So that's partially my own fault. 
not necessarily theirs. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's it. I mean, that's that's chain of command in a nutshell. And I know that was a lot because there is a lot to the game, but it's fun, and that's mm. and that's what matters. So it seems dope. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the somebody has made a fairly extensive forty k skin for it uh, adaptation, I guess you could say. Um, and now that I know more about the game, I have to go back and look at it, but they went through pretty much every major faction in 40k, designed platoons for them to design supports and, and put them in different categories. So you can basically play the chain of command rules using, uh, uh, 40k models, which I even thought a small game of 40k using the patrol phase would, would be really impressive as well man that honestly if there was like an official well i mean not obviously they can't do an official 40k one right but like that would get me to buy more games workshop products at this point in my gaming career than anything mm-hmm. games <laughs> workshop could sell me whole well that's, yeah. that's the nice thing though is i look at what the the necron platoon is and and i looked at them like all right so it's three squads of 10 warriors perfect i have that i was like <laughs> I, yeah I that, that. yeah that's easy yep yeah and i don't remember what everybody i mean the orc ones obviously still had a lot of guys but um you know and and it, and it takes away some of the frustration of the the space marines having ridiculous armor because it uses all the same mechanics so they would basically just be elite troops instead of having a ridiculous safe yep that's cool very 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 cool i'm so happy that i accidentally came across that video um and then somebody recommended the game to me and i was like oh yeah that's that one that i saw and started looking at it again and um you know just because with how lovingly the rule set was crafted uh it took away a lot of my concerns of of you know playing a a world war ii game and it being kind of not respectful of world war ii like this this game is crafted with love sounds good all right all right I think that's all I've got, unless you guys had any other questions. No, no, I, I don't. So, uh, final thought, Paul, on uh, on Chain of Command. Um, gosh, um, it's awesome, and everybody should try it. At least look at it because it's it's even if it even if you're like, oh, all right, well, you know, World War Two games aren't my my jam. It's at least worth looking at for the interesting uh, mechanics that it brings to the game, like the command dice and. And the patrol face, uh, just just to be a, just as a as a fan of games, just look at it and be like, oh, that's cool. I wish more people. I wish it was more in more games. Yep, yep, yep. I think my final thought is that I'm going to be seeking out the PDF so I can read it because it just sounds like something I would enjoy um, reading through a little bit. At least once I get Infinity a little bit more cemented in my brain. I was going to say, what you need to do is you would, you just need to find somebody who likes world war two out there. Uh, because I can, I can tell you right off the bat, you would eat this game up. All right. How about you, Chris? Final thought. I'm just glad you're enjoying it. I mean, it's, it's not my jam. I mean, listen to you. It sounds like it's, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces to it and it's fun. Um, Mm -hmm. just, you know, you're saying they're like, I'm hoping not boring you guys. I'm like, I'm not bored. It's just, definitely not my thing but i'm hey man i'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it cool 100 yeah. yeah yeah because it's uh it's awesome we're getting a, a good size group going now um there's at least four or five of us you know like my friends that are are into it um and then just kind of the greater community of of 
historical gamers around here. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind just stopping <laughs> by just watching you guys play. But I, I mean, I know you do a lot of stuff, you know, at people's houses and not in the stores. So, yeah, Bob and Bob lives out in the middle of nowhere. Um, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll let you know next time we're, we're someplace and come hang out. It'll yeah, be just, fun. I'll be, I mean, I'd love to take a look at it, watch you guys play, but yeah. Yeah. Not, not my cup of tea, but like I said, I'm, I'm really glad you guys have found it. I'm really glad you guys are playing it and enjoying it. Yep. Yep. And like I, like I said a million times, uh, I didn't think it was my cup of tea either until I tasted it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess that's, uh, that's that. Uh, when do you guys want to take us out? Um, I guess, uh, thank you to our patrons as always. You guys are awesome. Um, keeping us going. We've got big plans. We've got, uh, hobby hangouts coming up starting now ish. So look out for that. Um, look out for me at Adepticon at the last weeks uh, or the last weekend, uh, next month. That's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, so Adepticon 2020, I will be there. My name on my badge will be Kevin Chopic, big tall guy. If you see me, do not be afraid to come up and say hi. You'll know the voice. Uh, as always. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true as well. And I'll be like, especially if you come on Wednesday night and you're at the games workshop thing, you'll probably hear me going, oh, even if I don't care that much. <laughs> uh, so I'll I'll be there having fun with the rest of the crowd. Um, Wednesday through Sunday, I'll be there the whole time. Um also, as always, thank you to Static as a City for our dope-ass intro and outro music. Um, and to get on us and social media, first and foremost, uh, hit us up on our Discord server. Link in the Discord server will be in the description of the episode. Our Discord server is basically hopping every day. There is some amount of conversation every single day in the channels on the Discord. It's um, honestly one of my favorite parts of the show now. So if you're listening and you're not, on the discord please give it a shot it's a really really very cool community right now um and uh other social media uh paul's been posting a lot on instagram twitter facebook at three minute of war game uh you can find us there and that's about it bye